Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Monday, January 13th, 2020, which is the day that this year's Oscar nominations got announced. Uh, okay, so they got announced at 8.30 East Coast time, so shows like Good Morning America could actually air the, the announcements in real time, but... That's so that's 5:30 West Coast time and 5:18 is when they started. Yeah. Oh yep. my god. Okay. And Drew, you have to explain cuz again, this is the world you live in. So yeah, I got up at 5 and then I I looked at something online that said that they weren't going to be not announced until 5:18. Mm-hmm. So I went back to sleep for 15 minutes, woke up. You know that it's early when Nova doesn't want to get up yet. Well, I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, poor Nova. It's like what what <laughs> What what are we doing up now? We're, you know, I don't want to go out. I don't want to eat. Yeah, so. yeah, it's it was a new sensation for me. But so she stayed asleep. But it's interesting because you guys get Good Morning America, but mm. on the West Coast, it's still like the local yokels news hour. So it was like George Panakios, who I know you remember from ABC Seven, who's like been there a hundred years. Oh my so, God! Yeah. You know, okay. So he's doing the he's doing the announcements. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting because you don't have that extra like layer of professionalism that you do because it's actually on one of the morning shows it's just on you know whatever news local news station is on at the time so but i i mean i i enjoyed it i had to you know keep quiet and you Mm -hmm. know muffle my booze because katie was still asleep but um yeah, I, I it was it's an interesting process. It's I I like getting up and doing it. It's, it's kind of fun to take part in it. Um, okay. So yeah, I was up. So so let's talk about the announcements because face it, what I found interesting at least if we're talking features. If we compare what the Annies announced for their feature awards back in December, there's very little difference between these these two lists. Yeah. What we got? How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World. We've got uh, Missing Link. We've got Toy Story Four. Also, Klaus. Mm-hmm. The only difference between the way the Academy Awards went and the Annies went is I lost my body, got an Oscar nod, but not Frozen Two. Yeah. Uh, now, okay, so they did get kind of a face saving. They they got a a nomination for Best Song into the Unknown. Yes. So what's your interpretation of this? I mean, I know you were on Twitter early today. You know what I get? That's half the fun of of working with you, dude. It's your opinions. You know, and it's just sort of like, for example, what you were saying about Ford and Ferrari proving that there's far too many old white men who work in Hollywood. Um, Right. (laughs) I was surprised by that one, but I mean, it makes perfect sense after the, after you factor in with that tweet of mine. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like uh, this is like the dad movie of the the century. Oh, no, that, that's it exactly. But you were all, you know also out there saying how much you enjoyed Toy Story four. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Frozen two just this past weekend one point three seven billion dollars right uh and you know kind of ironic that you know they get the nod for original song because this coming weekend is when the sing-along edition of frozen two bows in theaters around the country every parents Uh, are going to be scrambling to make different plans for the weekend so they don't have to take their children to go see the singing version of frozen two oh god so uh, but but, I, i i'm not really sure what happened i mean 
maybe it's just frozen overload. I think that mm-hmm. I think that a even more interesting omission too is weathering with you uh, from Japan, which was submitted not only for the feature animated feature category, but also was Japan's entry for the best international film competition mm-hmm. too. So that got snubbed twice. And you know, this is from the people that made um, your name, which is like the biggest Japanese animated hit ever. Yeah. Um, and, so and, that's and another thing. Interest, interesting in both cases, isn't it Fathom that's handling the release in the States? Yeah, I think oh. Fathom did a special event, and then it's being handled by G Kids, which oh, you know has right. has a great reputation for getting international uh, features in this category. So I, again, I don't I don't really know what happened with either of those. Um, mm. I'm a little surprised by how to train your dragon. To be honest, I didn't think. I think that was maybe the weakest installment in the franchise and and has a lot of highs and lows. Um, so, yeah. You're not going to get an argument from me on that. But face it, we had, you know, basically How to Train Your Dragon 3 going up against Toy Story 4 and Frozen 2 and something was going to fall out. Yeah. Um, but that said, the choices they made. Um, well, first of all, you and I have talked about Klaus and mm-hmm. I would love it. I would love it if Sergio and his team got the award just because it's a new take on hand-drawn. Yes. Um, but at the same time, we've got two Netflix films, right? We've got this yes. and I Lost My Body or... Did you watch I, I, I Lost My I, Body? It is on the list, and face it, you and I both are drowning in a sea of media. In fact, yes. did, did you actually finish Infinity Train? No, book two? I did not. No, well, I'm, there we yeah, go. I'm okay. working on this big feature right now, and I got. Do you know how you know what happens when you get into the research uh, hole? Oh no, no, you get in that research K hole, and yes, it's just yeah. sort of like uh, this story leads to that story, which leads to this story. Yeah, and somehow and it's like, it how becomes... do you how do you put this in a timeline? But um, yeah, 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 I haven't finished that. I haven't finished Steven Universe Future. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much, Jim. There's too much. No, no, no is. But but again, it's great for us because we get to do the show each week. Yes, but uh, let's be honest here, Missing Link. Took home the Golden Globe for for animated feature uh, Sunday last. Uh, this past week, Toy Story Four took home the Critics Choice Award for Best Animated Feature, and and you know how it works out there. You know when you win an Academy Award, it's not really for what's happening now. I mean, for example, I'm sure you've heard all the Brad Pitt talk about. Right. You know, face it that get <laughs> this isn't really an award for his work. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as good as that performance is, by the way, I really enjoyed their performance, but this is more about the fact that he got robbed for his work in Moneyball. Right. Uh, and so if we, we pivot now to Leica and Missing Link, don't get me wrong, fine film, you know, got some ambitious stuff in it, but I think in a lot of ways, this is kind of, this nomination is kind of a make good for the fact that the Academy, you know, didn't recognize films like Paranorman or Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah. I don't think you know? Box Trolls was even nominated for it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think that could be. I mean, I agree. I don't think Missing Link is great by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination, but I think Chris Butler is a great filmmaker and I yeah. um you know want him to keep making movies and I want Leica to keep making movies, and it feels like the gas is in the tank is damn near empty uh, at Leica. Looking at it on a kind of spreadsheet, it's like how how are these still going on? You know, no, what I, I mean? agree. I agree. 
that's one of those reasons why I would really like this Oscar to happen. Because you and I both know that it'll put gas in the tank. Now, that said, though, think about what happened with Rhythm and Hughes with Life of Pi. I mean, yeah, you know, they that's true. Did all this amazing effects work on this this best picture, and they go out of business. An award doesn't necessarily you know, translate into a lifeline, but I, I would really like that to happen because I really love what they do at Leica. Yeah. Uh, it's just so. like, wh- who's the audience? Where's the audience? Is yeah. there an audience? You know, yeah. but, I don't you know, know. but, and I especially would like Leica to keep working now while the whole, um, subscription streaming service world sorts itself out. Because, you know, the whole notion that, you know, if if Leica could start producing films for that market where you literally have a piece of straight pipe for animation fans, you don't have to be in the multiplex buying, you know, you're not in that, that whole ball score thing of, well, you know, here's the opening weekend and this was number one and this was number two and this was number three. Think about it, you know, the, the Netflix quite confidently talked about close being a, a hit film because what it got 30 million downloads right you know so it's like that's a hit right. so and they've know, got I, the they've got the henry Selleck movie supposedly still coming in 2021 so okay here's you know open. here's yeah. open so all right well, anyway, to pivot from film to television, uh, I know, again, you know, I promise you, folks, Drew and I will eventually catch up with Infinity <laughs> Train book two. I, I got through the first episode. It's good, uh, right? It is. It is. You know, um, again, they're still doing it as a five-night event, and they're still – it's episodic storytelling. Uh, you know, it has the exact same strengths and weaknesses of the first Infinity Train, you know, right. that, that, you know, you had some episodes that were great, some episodes that were kind of placeholders, but, and this one started strong, so I will be circling back to it tonight. But but something I know you did get to watch this past weekend was the premiere of, of The Owl House. Yes. Uh, wow. What, so, what a wonderful half hour of television that was. Yeah. You know, did I you mean, love it? I, I, well, I, I have to admit, any show... You know what? You're two minutes in, and Luz, the the lead character, uh, you know, because her principal and her mom want her to be more normal. They're sending her off to summer camp for three months, where you know the mothers talk about it. It'll be great. You'll learn. You'll learn to balance a checkbook and appreciate public radio. And it's right. like, how, it's like a, how, a conformity camp or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It, to just plunge into the world of the Edna, the the, the owl lady, or, or King the demon, and, and and again, it's so nice to have Alex Hirsch back. You know, yeah. I have to admit, while I was watching this this episode, all I could think of is like, you know, I mean, this is great, but I really would like some more Gravity Falls. <laughs> Jim, yeah. you and me both, but guess yeah. what? Alex is at Netflix, and he's not looking back. So, mm. you know, I think we just got to take that, move forward with our lives, try to rebuild relationships, you know, all the things that we neglected while we were obsessing about Gravity Falls, you know, okay. and maybe put some of that energy into loving Owl House just as much, you know? Okay. Okay. I'll get with the program. Uh, <laughs> on, t- uh, on the other hand, um, I was trying to watch... The Thundercats Roar, uh, the pilot? Uh, yeah, that's like the, a two-part pilot, yeah. Yeah, the, which is currently available for viewing on the Cartoon Network app. 
Uh, all I could get to play was like the minute long sort of intro where they gave you the, which, which by the way, was really delightfully animated and well-written. And in fact, I got a very much an okay KO let's be heroes vibe. Oh coming yeah. Up. The, the intro of it. Yeah. 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 I watched, it was on demand on spectrum where I oh, live. Okay. So maybe check that uh, okay. when we get off the, the Skype mm-hmm. call, but yeah, I, I really thought it was very delightful. I mean, I'm not a Thundercats purist by any stretch of the imagination. I really didn't watch it much mm-hmm. as a kid, although that is sort of my uh, generation. And I really thought the approach they went with, this kind of funny, self-aware stuff, mm-hmm. was really great. I don't think it's as good as Owl House, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's great that there's so much great animation on right now. It seems like an embarrassment of riches uh, these days. Well, no, no, but, but the thing is, the waves keep rolling in. I mean, I know. Did, you, did you see just this past weekend at the Television Critics Association Winter Press Tour? CBS All Access was talking about how, I guess, just this week on January 17th, the brand new editions of Mr. Magoo, Georgia the Jungle, and Lassie, and Lassie is an animated series. Oh, are gonna, interesting. Going to start on that over in that streamer. Now, What's kind of interesting about this is that all three of these series are being done by DreamWorks uh, Television Animation. They're properties that DreamWorks acquired when they bought Classic Media. I remember that. Yeah. You got to remember, folks, that Classic Media was this warehouse of properties. I mean, it was like, what did they get with that? They got Rudolph. They got Frosty. They got Peabody and Mr. Sherman. Yeah. You know, um, Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle. Rocky and um, Bullwinkle. And I hate to say this, but in our politically correct times, I'm going to be intrigued to see what they do with Mr. Magoo. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just one of these things where it's like, okay, that that's that's going to be kind of hard to write for today's world, yeah. but I still still want to see that. Yeah, we, um, we go to we go to um, Tarantino's theater here. Speaking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, called the New Beverly, and he's always programming all this great stuff before the movie. And we were there mm-hmm. not too long ago, and there was a Mr. Magoo short, and it was like, yeah, how how would this play in mm-hmm. 2020? And now we're going to find out, Jim, thanks to DreamWorks Animation. So. Yeah. But the more intriguing thing to me is that the Lassie animated series, evidently CBS All Access, of the the three, they were the most excited about this because they're hoping that this will be their spirit riding free, that, that DreamWorks animated series that debuted on Netflix back in May of 2017, uh, which... It very loosely based on the DreamWorks animated feature. In fact, oddly enough, we were talking about Oscar nominated, that that was nominated for Best Animated Feature back in 2002. But we're talking about Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. And, but they're, they're eight seasons into the show now at Netflix, 52 episodes, and it's hugely popular with, with little girls. So as a result of which, there's this really robust consumer products program. Uh, and we talked previously about the uh, theatrical spinoff uh, mm-hmm. of this uh, Netflix series that's coming from DreamWorks in May of 2021. And so they're hoping in a weird sort of way that, well, little girls love horses, little girls love big collie dogs, you know, that maybe this will be our spirit running free. So, um, you know, it's in- I-, I wonder why none of these DreamWorks things are being saved for Peacock. 
Oh boy, I was just talking with somebody about Peacock. They are so much in the formative period that, in fact, that's the thing we were talking about. You know how Disney is is so much more on its A game in regard to, for example, you know, uh, capitalizing on the Mandalorian and plans to bring those characters into the park and and that sort of thing. And and whereas uh, Comcast and NBC Universal really isn't in that headspace yet. And, and as a result of which that, that Peacock is, is kind of suffering because of that, you know, because they were, you know, a bit, but the hope is that when this thing debuts in April, is that what I heard? Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, they're doing this thing. Have you heard of this thing called Peacock Live? It's kind of like their yes, D23. Yeah, the, the, the oh universal God. event yeah. the, in the parks. Uh, yeah, I'm halfway attempted to come out for that just to see to have them walk it through. Yeah, and it just seems bizarre. But have you have you seen the um, the art from this new DreamWorks Animations show that's on Netflix this week called Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts? I just saw that name, and I saw a, a piece of concept art for that. Do you have anything more in the series? I mean, that looked great. Yeah, I mean, it's created by uh, Radford. Christ, who mm. is a DreamWorks storyboard artist, and it really looks cool. It's sort of it's about a thirteen year old gr- girl who grows up in this sort of post apocalyptic landscape where all the animals have become um, intelligent, and mm-hmm. it just I mean the animation looks absolutely stunning, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's premiering tomorrow, which is weird that it's on a Tuesday, um, but yeah, it looks absolutely amazing. So we're gonna have to watch it for next week, Jim. I'm saying what I'm trying to tell you is you've got more homework to do. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. And and we were just talking about, you know, television properties that become theatrical films. Tell you what, folks, when we get back, we're going to talk about Teacher's Pet, the Disney television series that debuted on ABC that found its way into theaters back in 2004. Uh, before we get started here, sideways plug for another podcast we do here at, at Jim Hill Media. I want that. Uh, we've we got our first Brand new episode since August out the door earlier this week, and I bring it up because we did a good chunk of this past show about uh, Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty. And, Drew, you know I am not a big fan of, of that animated I know, feature I know. from February 59. I mean, it, it's a beautiful film. I love the whole idea of an animated tapestry, but... The, the the story itself is a snooze, you know. Um, but but that said, it's still the favorite film of cardiologist Thuthi David. When her boyfriend, Lee Losher, uh, offered to take Thuthi to the Coolidge screening room in Boston uh, to see a screening of Disney Sleeping Beauty, she agreed to go. Now, what Ms. David didn't realize is that Mr. Losher had been planning to propose to her at this screening of Sleeping Beauty. and But not only that, to make the experience that much more special, Lee had commissioned illustrator Kayla Coombs and a small team of animators to rework the final portion of Disney's Sleeping Beauty. So you know the film, Drew. You, you've seen it and yes. dozed off like me you know, <laughs> countless times while watching it. Um, but there's that scene toward the very end of the film where Prince Philip enters the tower, he's defeated Maleficent of the Dragon, he's cut his way through the thorns, and now he enters the room where the sleeping Princess Zora is lying in state. But while this version of the footage that Kayla Combs and her team worked on is, is screening, Aurora suddenly changes from a blonde to a brunette. And not only that, but 
begins resembling Suthi, but as Princess Aurora is awakened by love's true kiss, Prince Philip transforms into Lee. And But not only that, the, the now princely version of Mr. Losher flashes a box with an engagement ring at the animated version of Miss David. And then the on-screen animated version of Mr. Losher turns and tosses the box out into the audience. And the real-life Mr. Lee seems to catch the, the box out of midair and then gets on one knee and he asks Suthi to, to marry him. The, the cool thing is the on-screen versions of David and Suthi are looking on nervous and like, is she going to say yes? And I, initially, Miss Suthi, who, by the way, is a cardiologist, which when you, you get to hear his proposal, there's lots of talk of aortas and ventricles. And she turns and begins to apologize to the audience, but she only then realizes that everybody in the audience is her friends and family, that David had set this all up. And so she says yes, and the film continues with They Live Happily Ever After with, you know, animated version of the two of them on screen. And the interesting thing is that Lee also prepared for when she said no. They evidently had footage ready, get repurposed footage of the dwarves weeping from Snow White. But I, I bring this up because you can go on YouTube right now and watch this thing. I hate this so much, Jim. I just have to say that right off the bat. I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to squash young love, Jim. You know that. I'm a I'm a true romantic. I no, I get that. I get that. But the fact mm. that uh this that this guy like reanimated this, mm. I just I find it so so painful. Well, you bring up a very interesting question because I, when I was watching this, I really was of two minds. It's like, okay, A, when do the Disney lawyers descend on these people like worms? Yeah. yeah. Or, again, remember, this is the Walt Disney Company, and if there's profit to be had, when does this become a special add on for Disney fairy tale weddings? Right. You know, because face it, we always hear these stories about these crazy over the top. Disney fairy tale weddings where they book out the park and mm-hmm. they have their ceremony in front of Cinderella Castle with you know a glass coach and all that and you know if you're willing to throw that sort of money at a party okay throw us another 30 40 50,000 and we'll create a you know a movie of you and insert you into a classic Disney animated film like honestly Drew uh, that was the reason I wanted to share this story with you because it's like, how long, how long do you expect before this becomes, you know, when you're sitting down with your wedding planner at Disney and it's like, well, right. would you like to be in a cartoon? I think this could have kept the Florida studio open, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, doing this oh, stupid for, 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 From your lips to God's ears, it yeah. always, always, always kills me to to be backstage at the studio there and see – this again, this was the only building for animators designed by animators. They brought them in for a design charrette. For example, the conference rooms in this building were deliberately set up so that they would be storyboard friendly. You know, the, mm-hmm. the notion of you have to bring these giant story. And again, remember, this is back, this was a hand drawn studio. You know, so bring in these giant presentation boards and, you know, doors big enough to haul these things down the hall and all that. I mean, a place for the maximum efficiency to make animation. And now it's literally filled with all of these marketing and consumer product executives 
who their job is like when the animated film is finished, it's like, okay, how can we find additional ways to sell this? How can we make turn this into yet another revenue stream? So, yeah. sigh. Uh, it was a special place. It was a really special place, especially as a young person who wanted to do that or wanted to be a part of that. It was such a magical experience going through there, especially before the internet when, you know, you would see things for the first time, you know, in that space, which was Seriously, really cool. Seriously, you would look through the window and, and often you, you could see a character for the very first time because somebody was drawing it for a film that wouldn't be out for another year or two. So. Yeah. And speaking when films came out, January 16th, 2004, Teacher's Pet was released to theaters 15 years ago this week. Did you ever get to see this when it ran on ABC? This is the one I never did. That was sort of like way, a little bit past my time. And mm-hmm. God God only knows that I would regress now back to watching cartoons for the large <laughs> majority of my free time. But, you know, yeah, I was a, I was a little old for it then. But. I don't know. I, I, I get that. A, a lot of the reason that this one was on my radar is that – I'm a huge Nathan Lane fan. And so Nathan actually voiced the, the sort of the lead character of the piece. He was uh, the voice of Leonard Helperman's dog, Spot, who also the conceit of the show is that the dog went to school with the boy and masqueraded as a, the coolest kid in school, Scott, lead ready the second. Back in the day, I mean, uh, this was a big hit for Disney. It, it took two uh, daytime Emmys for the outstanding special class animated program. Uh, that was in 2002, 2003. And Nathan Lane himself took home a daytime Emmy for outstanding performer in an animated series. But, um, I bring this up because again, that that's when it aired on ABC and then Disney put a movie version of this TV show out in theaters. And again, in January, 2004, and there's actually a lot of misinformation out there about these sorts of movies. Again, and there are a weird subset of of Disney animated films. They are, you know, theatrical release movies that are based on Disney television shows. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, yeah, that must be part of the Disney home premiere line. And uh, But here's the thing. The very first one of these, the DuckTales, the movie Legend of the Lost Lamb, um, it came out in theaters in August of 1990. The, and the first Disney home premiere, Return to Jafar, didn't even show up on store shelves till May of 1994. I mean, hell, the original Aladdin didn't arrive in theaters to November of 1992. So if we're being completely honest here, Drew, Rip Taylor's genie preceded Robin Williams. But the DuckTales, the movie, it's kind of this interesting story in that uh, it, it, it actually started out. And remember how... DuckTales would start off each new season with like four interlocking episodes. Yeah, a lot of the Disney afternoon shows did stuff like that. Yeah, and the interesting thing is evidently Legend of Lost Lamp was originally pitched as the season opener for uh, season four. And somewhere along the way, kind of got put on a different track. And they were looking for something for the animation studio that Disney had just set up in Paris to do. And they wound up doing, you know, Legend of the Lost Lamp. And it came out and it it made so much dough that they immediately went, okay, we should probably do another one of these, uh, which then brings us to the Goofy movie. A uh, Disney movie tune is what they called it. There we go. All right. Yeah. That's right. There was a noticeable difference in quality between, you know, at least we were talking uh, DuckTales, uh, Legend of the Lost Lamp. On the other hand, with the Goofy movie, 
by then, the studio in Paris had really stepped up its game. In fact, this one wound up being directed by Kevin Lima, who, of course, would go on to work on Tarzan and the like. And for me, it's just been fascinating. I don't, don't know when the last time you were in a Disney store, Drew, but they're doing a lot of goofy movie merch now. I mean, this film seems to have really resonated with kids who are now adults. And so there's all sorts of Powerline t-shirts or, you know, in fact, this is amazing Powerline t-shirt out there that literally has his tour schedule on the back. But again, that, that came out of the Goofy movie, uh, which premiered on the Disney Channel back in April of 1992. And uh, interesting thing about Goof Troop, I, I actually got to talk with Mike Peraza, uh, who created the show. And he talked about, you know, the whole first iteration of the show literally was Goof Troop. It was about Goofy being, you know, a scoutmaster to a group of kids. And in the end, in classic Eisner fashion, it's like, I love the name, I hate the show, come up with something else. And then if we jump ahead to March of 1990, we've got Doug's first movie. I'm, I've never seen this. Okay, well, that, that's, you know, to be honest, that's two of us. <laughs> we have to drill down into this story at some point, Drew, because something happened here, all right? This Because this show initially debuts on Nickelodeon in, in August of 1990, runs for four years on that cable network, and then somehow in 1996, Disney cuts a deal with Jim Jenkins. He's the guy who created Doug for Nickelodeon, and now three additional seasons of Doug run on the Disney Channel and ABC. In fact, they're used to help launch... ABC's one Saturday morning programming block. And the way they differentiated the Nickelodeon Doug from the Disney Doug is that evidently the name of the Disney animated series was Brand New Spanking Doug, which, again, if, if we're going to do peacock jokes, the Brand New Spanking Doug, there's jokes that we can't do, Drew. <laughs> um, and, and then I guess the movie, which came out in March of 99, uh, acted as a, a series finale. Though, I guess, given uh, what's going on with Rugrats, I think the animated series is still proceeding, but the feature now is on hold? The I, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, the live-action movie, they took off the schedule, because that was, that was a Paramount live animation theatrical release hmm. that's not happening anymore, but... Okay. All right. And and while we're talking, <laughs> I'm going to be fascinated to see when when that finally bubbles up. But as while we're talking about one Saturday morning, uh, another show that debuted as part of that block was Recess. I have to admit, I enjoyed the show, but I had no idea that it was as big a success, I guess, it, as it was for Disney. Because did you know this thing ran for six seasons? I mean, no, I had no idea. Uh, 127 episodes. Uh, they did a theatrical release film in February of 2001 called Recess Schools Out, and evidently that was so successful. Uh, there were three direct-to-video sequels done, uh, Miracle on 3rd Street, All Growed Up, and Taking the Fifth Grade. Uh, and in fact, I guess the very last time the characters showed up in a Disney project, and this is something i got to chase down, but there's a 2006 episode of Lilo and Stitchy animated series where evidently the kids from Third Street School somehow end up in Hawaii. And then this next one, and I know this is a little bit of a cheat, folks, 
the Lizzie McGuire movie, but uh, face it, the Lizzie McGuire, Lizzie McGuire had some animation in it. Yeah. Uh, so this arrives in theaters May of 2003, and the series itself debuts on the Disney Channel in January 2001, runs for two seasons, 65 episodes. Uh, final episode airs on February 2004. And did you ever hear the stories about the huge plans that Disney had for Hillary Duff and Lizzie McGuire after the Disney Channel show? No. Oh, okay. I, I bring this up because of what just happened this past week. They're doing the Lizzie McGuire reboot and Terry Minsky, the woman who actually created the original Lizzie McGuire show, uh, who was back to help them with the reboot and was going to be, was the showrunner. They filmed two episodes, Drew. They prominently featured the footage in that Disney Plus trailer that was released back in December. She walked off the show. She's like, you know, I can't do this. And so they're kind of scrambling for a new showrunner. And now there's all this discussion at Disney, like, is this actually going to go forward for our subscription streaming services? Yeah. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Back in 2003, okay, so again, the Lizzie McGuire movie comes out, makes a nice chunk of change. And Disney immediately begins to talk about how they want to do a new Lizzie McGuire movie every two years going forward. In fact, they had, I guess, had a script going where basically it was Lizzie McGuire goes to Rome. There were also plans to transition the Lizzie McGuire character over to ABC where they do a brand new series of shows where she she went to high school. And evidently it all fell apart because... Hillary Duff's mom, who also acted as her manager, just got so greedy and so aggressive. You know, and again, Disney's making money off of the show and has big plans for you know, the future of this character. And it's like, but this woman was so difficult to deal with that, you know, at one point, Disney just turned to her and said, you know, this isn't worth it. We're not going to do this. And we're shutting this down. And literally, Lizzie McGuire as a franchise, died that day. And so that's what was intriguing about the, the Lizzie McGuire reboot being proposed for Disney Plus because it was like, everybody was like, do you remember what happened back in, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago or 15 years ago? Uh, it's like, oh, no, no, things will be better this time. Things will be fine. Everybody, you know, the, the, everybody's gotten over it. And here, two episodes in and they pull the plug. So, yes, I have a friend who's a publicist for Disney Plus, and I'm sure that was a very long day. Yeah. Boy. Well, I, I don't know. And the thing is, Terry Minsky continued to work for Disney. Uh, she was involved with Jesse. Uh, she did that spinoff of the show, Bunked. So the, the fact that she walked away from this thing, you know, that, that kind of speaks volumes. And again, of course, this brings us up to January 2004. We were talking about Teacher's Pet. And again, this is actually the shortest lived series of the ones that, that got turned into feature releases. Started September of 2000, and there were only 39 episodes produced, Drew. Interesting thing, though, we, we have to chase down the people who helped create this show. Uh, Sherry and Bill Steiner, Steinkellner. And the reason we have to do that is they wrote the script for the unproduced Toy Story 3 oh, for, wow. for Circle 7. 
You know, I know we've talked about this on, on previous shows about how Buzz gets recalled and sent back to Japan. If you hammer on Toy Story 3 and Circle 7, folks, there is all of this concept art that's out there. But yeah, they wrote the script. We have to sit down with them at some time and talk with them because it's I, they'd probably have some amazing Circle 7 stories. And then after this, really, the weird thing is that Disney continues to do theatrical releases that are based on Disney Channel series, but it's not animated stuff anymore, Drew. It's things like uh, High School Musical 3 or you know Hannah Montana the movie. In the end... They step away from those, and here we are today. Though, again, what's kind of interesting now between Disney theatrical, which basically seems to be, at least for the movies that are being sent out to the multiplexes, is all about blockbusters, whereas Disney Plus, again, seems to be back to making the sorts of movies that Disney would make in the, the 1990s and 2000s, where things like Togo, which... yeah. I, I have to watch again. I've <laughs> so. Well, I was looking at, you know, the year before Eisner joined the company, number one movie, Disney movie of 1983 was Never Cry Wolf, the weird um, oh, sort of God, biographical the... thing with uh, that Carol, ba- Carol Ballard did. It's the guy who did uh, it's the, guy the from... Black Stallion. Yes, Carol Ballard. Uh, yeah, and... Um... And Charles Martin Smith from uh, that's right, from that's right, from American yeah. Graffiti. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I remember that that was the very first time I remember seeing him, uh, Patrick Dennehy in a movie. Do you remember ever seeing this film? Uh, did you ever get to see? Uh, I think I saw. Coming? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember it vaguely. But you're right. I did get it. I also got it confused with like the journey of Natty Gan. There we go. There we go. Uh, and okay, things like good. that. Because again, yeah. I'm sorry, I got my wolf movies screwed up. There were so <laughs> many wolf movies, and there was there also a, uh, there wasn't a Call of the Wild, but there was another Jack London adaptation in there somewhere too. Oh God, God you're right. So, but, but, but yeah, even Hawk, right? White, White know, Fang. We, White Fang. We, that's what it was. We should definitely get you know, revisit Never Cry Wolf because uh, that was going to be the new Disney movie. I mean, you know, the, it was during a period where the studio was trying to sort of reinvent itself. So. This was in production about the same time as Something Wicked This Way comes. And and the, the reason I bring up Patrick Dennehy is this wonderful moment where he's flying Charlie Martin Smith's uh, naturalist character up to the, to the tundra. And at one point, the, the little Piper Cub plane they're flying in, the engine cuts out. You know, and they are, you know, I mean, they're literally, they're just gliding over this barren landscape. And and Brian Dunahy, to fix the engine, actually opens the door of the plane and basically gets out and starts hammering on the engine with, with like, I, I, I want to say like a sledgehammer. And, but that's what gets the engine to get to start up again. But he's talking to Charlie Martin Smith about this, you know, you want to make life worth living. And he leans out of the plane and is beating on the engine with the hammer and then comes back into the cockpit, adventure. And it's just <laughs> sort of like, like, wow. I mean, that's how I feel I about this podcast, Jim. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> well then uh, speaking of our further adventures, just this past week, you were back at Walt Disney Animation Studios for, yes. and again, we, we were just talking about Disney Plus. For a presentation for the with the Disney Short Circuits program? Yes, and I got audio. I saw all 14 
installments of this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really different. It's really interesting. I don't know if you've been watching this, all of the Spark shorts, the Pixar stuff, um, but it's a very different vibe. Most are around 90 seconds, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And they run the gamut in terms of stylization. But I think we're going to talk about that next week once we people are, can see it as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, and one final thing, though, to to bring us all the way back to where the show started, in addition to announcing who got uh, Oscar nominations for Best Animated Features, we we should mention that two shorts that you and I have talked about several times in this program about how much we enjoyed them, uh, Hair Love, uh, that's Matthew Cherry, and Kitbull. Yeah. You know, out of... Uh, the Pixar Spark Shorts program uh, both picked up nominations. So, yeah. uh, what, what you're saying is that we made this happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're saying that. I, oh, okay, I, okay, you know, okay. You know, you have delusions of grandeur, Drew. I have delusions of adequacy. You know, it's just sort of like you know, if, if, you, if I can get up in the morning and not trip over a cat, I consider it a success. So, um, but we'll get to that on our our next episode of fine tuning. But till then, Drew, uh, what's going on uh, with your light the fuse podcast? Well, you know, we had big casting news last week. Nicholas Holt is joining the cast from. Yeah, uh, um, just to interrupt here. Was I reading that correctly? He's supposedly going to be playing a character with ties back to the original television series. Well, Is I think that... somebody was saying that he that uh, Shea Wiggum might be playing a character oh, uh, from the okay. original series. Um, okay. I think that Nicholas Holt is going to be bad. Is my okay. guess. Although you know there could be another, it could be another Jim Phelps situation where he's a character from the original series that turns out to be bad. There we which, go. There you we know, go. is always a possibility. But yeah, I mean, we we know so little about these movies, but mm-hmm. we will be keeping an eye on them. Um, okay. Well, so it, every every Friday, light the fuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've got uh, the second part of our interview with one of the producers of Mission Three and Four, who's working on. Uh, Top Gun 2 right now, which is great. And then we're going to, we actually just recorded an episode where we talk about some more episodes of the old show for the, for next week. So that was, that's always fun to go back and watch those old episodes. No, 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 they are. They are. Have you managed to make it to the Nimoy year? Uh, uh, Leonard yes, Nimoy we years? did. We did one episode from season four called Submarine. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember this. You would love it, Jim, because it's so clearly shot on the Paramount backlot that they don't even <laughs> try to hide it. Um, and, uh, it's a really clever episode where they kind of like make this guy think that he's on a a sinking submarine and it's really, it's really fun. So we get to talk about that, but, and then the first episode we talk about has a guest appearance by, uh, George Takai. So we kind of like, we kind of cover the, the, the Star Trek spectrum on that one. Very cool. No, I'll have to chase this down. Um, over at Jim Hill Media, we got a couple other podcasts to listen to as well. Uh, we got Disney with Lentesto. We got uh, Universe Joyce with Dustin Fuse. We got Marvel Us Disney, which I do with Aaron and Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. Uh, and as I mentioned, we finally got a brand new episode of I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And, and then we have the the podcast I do with Drew's good, close, personal friend, uh, Danzy. The, the, make, the, sure the, he, the, make sure he remembers to record that that one, Jim. Just, uh, he, he, he told me about that. and I <laughs> Listen, I, we've, we've both had to do it at one point or another. 
Yeah, it's, I guess so. It's just, just I could love technology. But speaking of technology, folks, if you, if you do, Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only uh, fine-tuning, but uh, light the fuse, that would be incredibly helpful. That gets extra ears and eyeballs in our direction. And if you really, really, really like what you've heard here today, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Because again, you know, face it, those DVD sets of, you know, Mission Impossible don't buy themselves. No. You know, no. so, so. <laughs> but, well, anyway, all right. So I guess that's going to do it for this week. And again, I, I promise, folks, when you come back, we'll, we'll do what I, Drew and I will have done our homework. We'll have watched all of Infinity Train and, and we'll be ready to talk about the short circuits program at, at Walt Disney Animation Studios. But until then, Thanks for listening.